0: It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, January 11th, 2013. The Louis Giglio Obama inaugural controversy has hit a fevered pitch. And it will pretty much dominate all of our number one on Fighting for the Faith. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. And what is needed are Christians who are discipled and know what the Scriptures Say We live in very treacherous times, and one of the reasons why we live in treacherous times is due to the fact that people base or determine what truth is based upon their subjective feelings and experiences. Now, I I understand that very recently, just a few days ago, I did an entire opening monologue pointing out the fact that your subjective experiences do not equal the truth. Now, this is what we are dealing with when we are dealing with the issue of homosexuality in the broader culture as well as in the church. And what I mean by that is this, is that in the broader culture, when you use the word homosexual, okay, what the culture believes that means, okay, down on some fundamental level, despite what the word means in the dictionary, What they think that means is somebody who is born a particular way, that at that person's essence and being, they are a particular thing. For instance, when we talk about leopards, okay, leopards, we all know what a leopard is, a leopard has spots, that's what, and the reason why leopards have spots is because that's... What a leopard is it, it, at its core being—it's a spotted large cat, right? So that's the idea: is that when you say the term homosexual, people think that that means that somebody is born a particular way. It's you know, uh, to, to equi- you know, give you another equivalent: it would be the equivalent of being born black or white or Asian or. You know, pick whatever color combination it is. So the idea is is that, therefore, since they are born that way, and that's what they are down in their being, it is wrong for anybody to say what somebody is in their being is wrong. So that's the idea. That's the thinking. That's the premise that you're dealing with. But the Bible reveals something very different, okay? And that is that nobody is in their core being a homosexual. We're going to talk about that on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith and help equip you to be able to talk about this biblically and understand when you're talking with people at the water cooler or in the neighborhood or in your small group study. um, If somebody is basically being sympathetic, and saying, who are we to judge or something like that, or are being antagonistic or attacking you for putting out the biblical position. You need to understand what their thinking is and know how to confront it properly. So that's what we're going to be doing part of today on, on at Fighting for the Faith. So you're going to need your Bible and a piece of paper and stuff like that. But we're going to talk about the Louis Giglio thing a little bit more. Um, and you know, and in the course of this con- uh, this hour, we're going to unpack the rest of the stuff. Now, if you've been following the Louis Giglio Obama inaugural controversy, then you are probably aware of the fact that uh, some pretty important people like Denny Burke, Albert Mueller, uh, Russell Moore, and others have weighed in regarding uh, Louis Giglio's. Um, being disinvited, but see, that's the thing is, has, was he disinvited? Because according to his blog post, he bowed out. And so there's two issues going on and it's really easy to squish the two issues together. And you got to do that. Now I'm on record and I stand by what I said. Louis Giglio is not a martyr. He's not a Christian martyr. He hasn't stood up for the, what the Bible says says on this matter, in fact, I made it very clear that he was behaving in a very cowardly fashion, and I stand by what I said, and I will continue to stand by what I said, because he has an obligation as a pastor to be preaching and teaching the truth on this matter, and hasn't done so by his own admission for more than 15 years. Years now, as a teacher in the church, I teach weekly in my congregation, and um, as a result of being a teacher in the church, I find it just absolutely impossible for anybody who is teaching God's word to not, on a regular basis, have to deal with this. They, you know, I seriously rarely a month or two goes by before I have to address the topic, and usually it's the biblical text that forced me to do so. You know, it's not that they're forcing me. It's just you understand what I'm saying. So for him to go 15 years without actually preaching or teaching on this topic, yeah, there's something seriously wrong there. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some of the, um, uh, of the coverage out there. I want to take a uh, look at Albert Mueller's piece, maybe Russell Moore's piece, but I'm also going to uh, uh, give ear to uh, Aaron Benzinger's piece about uh, Louis Giglio, because I think she, she she nails it spot on and points out the fact that Louis Giglio is not a martyr. Now, all of that being said, there is a second aspect to this. And the, the two need to be separated in your mind as two completely different se- issues. Number one, Giglio is not a martyr. But second, what has happened and transpired um, is, well, it should cause everybody to... Wake up, okay. If you've been asleep at the switch or haven't weighed in on this, um, the, the, l- let me put it this way: the bugle is being blown, and the soldiers are being called to muster. Okay, reveille has uh, has been sounding forth, and uh, it's real simple. If you don't muster on this one, you're a wall, and if you're a wall, you well, the only way to interpret your a wallness or your silence on this matter. Is that you don't agree with what God has said? Instead, you have chosen to side with the enemy. That that, I know that sounds harsh. I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's exactly what the case is. It's time to stand up and be counted. That's all there is to it. Um, You know, flat out open persecution of Christianity, um, pretty much has been declared. Um, This is a very very clear. Warning shot across the bow of Christianity and uh, make no make no mistake about it. Something has changed in the in the broader culture. It's a different day today than it was a couple of days ago, and as a result of it, <clears throat> um, it's time to weigh in time for people to muster and to show their support even if it costs them their job their marriage popularity celebrity or whatever or even their life they must stand and be counted and stand with christ in what he has said on this matter plain and simple all right so looking at how i want to do this whose whose piece do i want to start with all right i think i got it figured out here from the Russell Moore website, entitled "More to the Point, <laughs> uh, he's a professor over at Southern Seminary in Louisville and a good friend of Val Morla. The name of the headline is Louis Giglio and the New State Church. Louis Giglio and the New State Church. Now, L- Russell Moore's angle on this is that this is a clear shot as to what's coming you know, down the pike, and so he's not dealing... With Louis Giglio's statements per se, he's dealing with the story itself. So here's what Russell Moore writes. He says, President Obama kicked up some controversy by announcing that evangelical pastor Louis Giglio would be praying at the inauguration. Sexual liberationist group quickly identified Giglio as they did Rick Warren under similar circumstances in 2009 as, quote, anti-gay. After a couple of days of firestorm from the left, Giglio announced this morning that he would withdraw. Now, that's the important part. After a couple of days of firestorm, Giglio announced he would withdraw. Now, I am absolutely of the firm opinion that Giglio should have stood his ground and made Obama take Basically, it made Obama kick him out, okay? That way it would have been a clear, unambiguous stand taken by Giglio regarding what the scripture says, and had he, Obama had to kick him out and disinvite him, then Obama would clearly have been the bad guy and doing wrong, and Giglio would have been the Christian standing up for the truth, That's not what happened. Giglio announced that he would withdraw. Moore continues. He says, here's why this matters. The statement Giglio made that was so controversial is essentially a near direct quotation from the Christian scriptures. Now, this is talking about the, um, the sermon that was dug up from nearly 15, 20 years ago. Here's what he said. Unrepentant homosexuals, Giglio said, as with unrepentant sinners of all kinds will not inherit the kingdom of God that that's first Corinthians six nine through ten Giglio said it's not easy to change but it is possible to change the Bible says God commands all people everywhere to repent Acts chapter 17 through 30 uh, verse 30 and the same gospel Giglio said that uh, that I say to you and that you would say to me okay so back fifteen twenty years ago Giglio clearly unambiguously unapologetically proclaimed what the bible says regarding same sex sins this nobody is challenging that this is what he did 15 to 20 years ago okay now those of us who teach regularly in the church um we have to do this a little bit more often than 15 every 15 to 20 years okay like i said hardly a month or two goes by where it doesn't come up in the text that I teach okay it comes up it's got you you just you dress it because if you're teaching the full counsel of the word of God the, the God's word dictates the the message and it dictates the agenda it's just that clear we continue though Moore says the Christian faith in every expression has held for 2,000 years that sexual immorality is sinful yep This same Christian faith has maintained, again, in every branch that sexual expression outside of conjugal marriage is sin. Yep. And the Christian faith has maintained universally that all persons are sinners and that no sinner can enter the kingdom without repentance. This is hardly new. Which I would say, yep, Russell's right on it. So here's what uh, he continues. says, the, quote, shock with which the so-called anti-gay stance is articulated by the left, is akin to the Pork Producers Association denouncing a Muslim imam's invitation because he's anti-agriculture due to Quranic dietary restrictions. Yeah, I think that's a fair way of putting it. In fact, by the standards of this controversy, no Muslim imam or Orthodox Jewish rabbi alive can pray at a presidential inauguration. Yep. When it is now impossible for one who holds to the Catholic Christian view of marriage and the gospel to pray at a public event, we now have a de facto established state church. Yep. Moore is absolutely right. We have a de facto state church now. Okay. Um, The the United States of America has created a state church. Religion. If you do not agree with their state religion, well, there's, there's, well, a cost and prices to pay. I think Moore is right onto it here. He says, Just as the pre-Constitution Anglican and Congregational Churches required a license to preach in order to exclude Baptists, the New State Church requires a license of embracing sexual liberation in all of its forms. Note, this now doesn't simply exclude harsh and intemperate statements or even activism. Simply holding the view held by every Roman pontiff and by every congregation and synagogue in the world until very recent days is enough to make one radioactive in public. Yeah, radioactive in quotes, meaning, yeah, you we can't have you there. As citizens, we ought to insist that the president stand up to his base and articulate a vision of a healthy pluralism in the public square. Notice that the problem is not that the evangelical wants to impose his religion on the rest of society. The problem is not that he wants to exclude homosexuals or others from the public square or their civil rights. The problem is that he won't say that they can go to heaven without repentance. That's not a civil issue but a religious test of orthodoxy. As Christians, we ought to recognize that the old majoritarian understanding of church-state relations is outmoded. Our situation today is not to hold on to some form of American civil religion. Our situation today is more akin to to the minority religions of America's past, colonial Baptists, 19th century Baptists, early 20th century Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, who are appealing simply for the right to exist at all in the face of an established religion armed with popular support and, in the fullness of time, state power. It turns out we're circling around to where we should have been all along— with the understanding that religious liberty isn't toleration and separation of church and state isn't secularism. We don't have a natural right to pray at anyone's inauguration. But when one is pressured out from a previous invitation because he's too toxic for simply mentioning once something universal in the Christian faith, we ought to see what we're looking at, a state church, and as one old revolutionary era Baptist said, as he went in and out of prison for preaching, there is nothing so offensive to an established church than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yep. I think Russell Moore has a very, very important point that he's made there. And that's absolutely what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with now in the public square the United States of America has a state church, and that state church will not tolerate anybody who even once in Christianity has said what Scripture says regarding same-sex sin. Great point. All right, the next one that we're going to be looking at is Albert Muller's piece, and the name of his is entitled The Giglio in Broglio, the public inauguration of a new moral McCarthyism, Albert Muller writes. He says a new chapter in America's moral revolution came to us as Atlanta pastor Louis Giglio withdrew from being, uh, from giving the benediction at President Obama's second inaugura- inaugural ceremony. In a statement released to the White House and the Presidential Inaugural Committee, Giglio said that he withdrew because of the furor that emerged yesterday after a liberal watchdog group revealed that almost 20 years ago he had preached a sermon in which he had stated that homosexuality is a sin and that the only way out of a, homo- a homosexual lifestyle is through the healing power of Jesus. In other words, a Christian pastor has been effectively disinvited from delivering an inaugural prayer because he believes and teaches Christian truth. Well at least he did twenty years ago. I'm not I see I'm not so sure Giglio does today. We continue though. The fact that Giglio was actually disinvited made clear in a statement from Addie Weisenot of the Presidential Inaugural Committee quote. We were not aware of Pastor Giglio's past comments at the time of his selection, and they don't reflect our desire to celebrate the strength and diversity of our country at this inaugural. Pastor Giglio was asked to deliver the benediction in part because of his leadership in combating human trafficking around the world. As we now work to select someone to deliver the benediction, we will ensure their beliefs reflect this administration's vision of inclusion and acceptance for all Americans. Well, that statement is, in effect, an embarrassed apology for having invited Louis Giglio in the first place. Weisenau's statement apologizes for the Presidential Inaugural Committee's failure to make certain that their selection had never at any time, for any reason, believed that homosexuality is less than a perfectly acceptable lifestyle. The committee then promised to repent, and learn from their failure, committing to select a replacement who would, quote, reflect this administration's vision of inclusion and acceptance. The imbroglio over Louis Giglio is the clearest evidence of the new moral McCarthyism of our sexually, quote, tolerant age. During the infamous McCarthy hearings, witnesses would be asked, quote, Are you now, or have you ever been, A member of the Communist Party. Well, in the version that is now being employed by the Presidential Inaugural Committee, the question will be, quote, Are you now, or have you ever been one who believes that homosexuality or bisexuality or transsexualism, etc., is anything less than morally acceptable and worthy of celebration? Mm Mm-hmm. Louis Giglio, pastor of Atlanta's Passion City Church, is also founder of the Passion Movement that brings tens of thousands of Christian young people together to hear Giglio, along with speakers such as John Piper. They urge a rising generation of young Christians to make a passionate commitment to Christ. In recent years, the movement has also sought to raise awareness and activism among young Christians on the issue of sex trafficking. It was that activism that caught the attention of both President Obama and the Presidential Inaugural Committee. Note carefully that both the White House and the committee were ready to celebrate Giglio's activism on sex trafficking, but all that was swept away by the moral McCarthyism on the question of homosexuality. Two other dimensions of this story also demand attention. First, we should note that Louis Giglio has not been known lately for taking any stand on the issue of homosexuality. To the contrary, Giglio's own statement withdrawing from the invitation made this clear, quote, Due to a message of mine that has surfaced from 15 to 20 years ago, it is likely that my participation and the prayer I would offer will be dwarfed by those seeking to make their agenda the focal point of the inauguration. Clearly, speaking on this issue has not been in the range of my priorities in the past 15 years. Years. Instead, my aim has been to call people to ultimate significance as we make much of Jesus Christ. Muller then states a fair minded reading of that statement indicates that Pastor Giglio has strategically avoided any confrontation with the issue of homosexuality for at least 15 years. The issue, quote, has not been in the range of my priorities, unquote, he said. Given the Bible's insistence that sexual morality is inseparable from our ultimate significance as we make much of Jesus Christ, this must have been a difficult strategy. It is also a strategy that is very attractive to those who want to avoid being castigated as intolerant or homophobic. As this controversy makes abundantly clear, it is a failed strategy. Louis Giglio was cast out of the circle of the acceptable simply because a liberal watchdog group found one sermon he preached almost 20 years ago. If a preacher has ever taken a stand on biblical conviction, he risks being exposed decades after the fact. Anyone who teaches at any time, to any degree, that homosexual behavior is a sin is now to be cast out second we should note that pastor giglio's sermon was as we would expect and hope filled with grace and the promise of the gospel giglio did not just state that homosexual homosexuals are sinners he made clear that every single human being is a sinner in need of the redemption that is found only in jesus christ quote We've got to say to the homosexuals the same things that I would say that you would say to me. It's not easy to change, but it's possible to change, he preached. He pointed his congregation gay and straight to the healing power of Jesus. He called his entire congregation to repent and to come to Christ by faith. That is the quintessential Christian gospel. That is undiluted biblical truth. Those words are the consensus of the church for over 2,000 years and the firm belief held by the vast majority of Christians around the world today. The Presidential Inaugural Committee in the White House have now declared historic biblical Christianity to be out of bounds, casting it off the inaugural program as an embarrassment. By its newly articulated standard, any preacher who holds to the faith of the church for the last 2,000 years is persona non grata. By this standard, no Roman Catholic prelate or priest can participate in the ceremony. No evangelical who holds to biblical orthodoxy is welcomed. The vast majority of Christians around the world have been disinvited. Mormons and the rabbis of Orthodox Judaism, they're out. Any Muslim imam who could walk freely in Cairo would be denied a place on the inaugural program. Billy Graham, who participated in at least 10 presidential inaugurations, is welcome no more. Rick Warren, who incited a similar controversy when he prayed at President Obama's first inauguration, is out of bounds. In the span of just four years, the rules are fully changed. The gauntlet was thrown down yesterday, and the axe fell today. Wayne Besson, founder of the activist group Truth Wins Out, told the New York Times yesterday, It is imperative that Giglio clarify his remarks and explain whether he has evolved on gay rights like so many other faith and political leaders. It would be a shame to select a preacher with a backwards view on LGBT people at a moment when the nation is rapidly moving forward on our issues. And there you have it. Anyone who has ever believed that homosexuality is morally problematic in any way must now offer public repentance and evidence of having evolved on the question. This is the language that President Obama used of his own evolving position on same-sex marriage. This is what is now openly demanded of Christians today. If you want to avoid being thrown off the program, you had better learn to evolve fast and repent in public. This is precisely what biblical Christians cannot do. While seeking to be gentle in spirit and ruthlessly gospel-centered in speaking of any sin, we cannot cease to speak of sin as sin. To do so is not only to deny the authority of Scripture, not only to reject the moral consensus of the saints, but it undermines the gospel itself. The gospel makes no sense and is robbed of its saving power if sin is denied as sin. An imbroglio is a painful and embarrassing conflict. The imbroglio surrounding Louis Giglio is not only painful, it is revealing. We now see the new moral McCarthyism in its undisguised and unvarnished reality. If you are a Christian, get ready for the question you will now undoubtedly face. Do you now or have you ever believed that homosexuality is a sin? There is now nowhere to hide. That's right. There's nowhere to hide. There is absolutely nowhere to hide. The government of the United States of America has set up a state church, and their state church demands that you repent publicly of ever saying that homosexuality is a sin, or you are on the outs. Plain and simple. Now, I want to cover the topic of Louis Giglio just a little bit again because I want to make something very clear that Albert Moeller pointed it out very clearly that Louis Giglio hasn't preached on this for at least 15 years, okay? What did that get him? Nothing, okay? When you think about this strategy of trying to appease the culture by giving the culture what they want— and trying to be relevant and hip to the things that they believe, you're basically becoming, well, the equivalent of a Christianized version of uh, Neville Chamberlain, okay, trying to appease Hitler. It doesn't work, does it? No, of course it doesn't. But the other thing that is also very clear here is that I'm not the only one out there who is demanding that Louis Giglio clarify his remarks. Okay, Remember the New York Times, yeah, Okay, Wayne Besson of the New York Times wrote, quote, it is imperative that Giglio clarify his remarks and explain whether he has evolved on gay rights like so many other faith and political leaders. Well, Louis Giglio hasn't clarified his mar- remarks. In fact, his bowing out the way he did, um... Believes all kinds of questions as to whether or not his theology has evolved. And so keep the, keep the two issues separated because you got to do it, even though they're all together in one big mess at the moment. And that is this, is that Louis Giglio is not a living martyr. He's not. Okay. He has not made a principled stand. He has not clarified his position. And so I turn now to the do not be surprised.com website and Erin Benziger's commentary regarding this. And her headline is entitled Louis Giglio Living Martyr question mark. Erin writes. She says it was announced on 8th January, the 8th of January, that Louis Giglio, pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, and it, and founder of the Passion Conferences had accepted an invitation to deliver the benediction at President Obama's inaugural on to the 21st of January. Immediately following that announcement, someone dug up a 15-20 to 20 year old sermon of Giglio's wherein he made comments about homosexuality that didn't sit so well with the loudest voices in this country. By the morning of the 10th of January, Giglio had withdrawn his acceptance of the invitation. With this news, Louis Giglio immediately became a living martyr among evangelicals. Indeed, the backlash in response to the contents of the sermon was unfortunate. There is little arguing that fact. At the same time, it really should not surprise the Christian who does not have his head stuck in the sand. America is, after all, a Romans' one nation. We love our sin. We love our sexual sin. We revel in it. We celebrate it. So what do you expect? But is Giglio's withdrawal from the inauguration ceremony worthy of the praise and commendation of Christians? Has he taken a strong stance that so many evangelical leaders would have us believe? Is he a victim taken to the figurative stake and burned for his adherence to God's word? Now, the argument is swirling based upon a New York Times article that Giglio was asked to step aside that he, in essence, was ousted. This was the scenario painted by at Denny Burke's blog. However, the quote in question has since been removed from the original New York Times article. If one looks at the pastor's own words, through Giglio, uh, though Giglio says, I respectfully withdraw my acceptance of the president's invitation, so if Louis Giglio was asked to step aside, then that needs to be said by Louis Giglio. Otherwise, we should take him at his word. He is, after all, a Christian pastor, and thus his words should be be able to be trusted should it not with that and because louis giglio wears the title of christian pastor it behooves the christian to examine the statement he has made regarding this decision to withdraw the remainder of this post will look at that statement in its entirety as it was shared with Louis Giglio's own church at the blog of Passion City Church. We read, Dear PCC family, though I was invited by the President of the United States to pray at his upcoming inauguration, after conversations between our team and the White House, I am no longer serving in that role, I sent the following statement to the White House today. I am honored to be invited by the President to get the benediction at the upcoming inaugural on on January 21st, Though the president and I do not agree on every issue, we have fashioned a friendship around common goals and ideals, most notably ending slavery in all of its forms." Due to a message of mine that has surfaced from 15 to 20 years ago, it is likely that my participation and the prayer I would offer will be dwarfed by those seeking to make their agenda the focal point of the inauguration. Clearly speaking on this issue has not been in the range of my priorities for the past 15 years. Instead, my aim has been to call people to ultimate significance as we make much of Jesus Christ. Neither I Nor our team feel it best serves the core message and goals we are seeking to accomplish to be in a fight on an issue, not of our choosing. Thus, I respectfully withdraw my acceptance of the president's invitation. I will continue to pray regularly for the president and urge the nation to do so. I will most certainly pray for him on Inauguration Day. Our nation is deeply divided and hurting, and more than ever, we need God's grace and mercy in our time of need. The issue of homosexuality, which a particular message of mine some 20 years ago addressed, is one of the most difficult our nation will navigate. However, individual rights of freedom and the collective right to hold differing views on any subject is a critical balance we as a people must recover and preserve. As a pastor, my mission is to love people and lead them well. While lifting up the name of Jesus above anything else, I'm confident that anyone who knows me or has listened to the multitude of my messages I have given in the last decade would most likely conclude that I am not easily characterized as being opposed to people, any people. Rather, I'm constantly seeking to understand where all people are coming from and how to best serve them as I point them to Jesus. In all things, the most helpful thing I can do is to invite each of us to wrestle with Scripture and its implications for our lives. God's words. Trump all opinions, including mine, and in the end, I believe God's words lead to life. My greatest desire is that we not be distracted from the things that we are focused on, seeing people in our city uh, come to know Jesus and speaking up for the last and least of these throughout the world. Honored to be your pastor, Louis. Aaron then writes, Let's break this down. first part of it reads, I am honored to be invited by the President to give the benediction at the upcoming inaugural on January 21st, Though the President and I do not agree on every issue. We have fashioned a friendship around common goals and ideals, most notably ending slavery in all of its form. Uniting around common goals is fine, Aaron writes, so long as the gospel is not compromised in the process. Any pastor agreeing to offer the benediction at an event such as this Should do so with the gospel in mind, not a social agenda. If one truly desires to end slavery in all its forms, then start with the great eternal slavery of sin and seek to end that by preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 7 reads We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Romans chapter six verses sixteen through eighteen read: Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Giglio then continues, Due to a message of mine that has surfaced from fifteen to twenty years ago, it is likely that my participation and the prayer I would offer would be dwarfed by those seeking to make their agenda the focal point of the inauguration. One might ask Mr. Giglio, Do you still believe the words you preached fifteen to twenty years ago? Do you believe what the scripture says about the sin of homosexuality? If so, then stand firm on that scripture. It is the only worthwhile support you have. If the media labels you as anti-gay in the process, does it really matter? The Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 18 through 23 read, If the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have been guilty, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now that but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Aaron then continues, May we be counted worthy to be persecuted for the name of Christ. May we never back down on what we know to be true because it has been spoken in his word. May we never be ashamed of our master seeking to step aside from conflict that arises simply because the world hates him, as he told us it would. Next, Giglio offers a most curious statement. Clearly speaking on this issue has not been in the range of my priorities in the past fifteen years. Look closely at the sentence above and then answer this question. If a man has not seen fit to preach on the topic of sin in the past 15 years, then can he legitimately wear the title of Christian pastor? Homosexuality is a sin. It is in the Bible. Preaching about sin, not just homosexual sin, but all sin, must be a weekly priority for every pastor. Why? Because without teaching your flock about the sinful nature of man, without sharing with them their depravity and wickedness, they cannot see their need for a Savior, nor can they see and understand the great, glorious, saving gospel of grace. The good news is not good news if there is not bad news delivered first. A pastor who has not placed sin as a priority within his sermons for one and a half decades is it could be argued a pastor in name only the apostle Paul tells us this uh, in first Timothy chapter one verses fifteen through sixteen the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those. Who were to believe in him for eternal life. Giglio then shares what the purpose of his ministry has been over the past fifteen years. Quote, instead, my aim has been to call people to ultimate significance, as we make much of Jesus Christ. This sentence does not even make sense. Is he calling people to be significant? One would hope not. Since Jesus must always increase as we decrease, see John chapter 3, verse 30, further, one cannot make much of Jesus if one diminishes sin. With a diminished view of sin, Jesus is unnecessary. The good news of the gospel, as Paul taught in 1 Timothy, quoted above, is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and that through his life, death, and resurrection he has saved sinners. But if we choose to ignore the concept of sin in any form, then that good news fails to maintain any concept of goodness. Christians are to call people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. See Luke chapter 24, verse 47. Any other mission is doomed to fail. What Giglio has stated here is not the gospel. And if Louis Giglio's aim has not been to proclaim the gospel and the whole counsel of God, then he has been gravely off target. If one truly desires to make much of Jesus Christ, then one may consider calling people to repent of their sins and to turn to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Nothing gives God more glory. Giglio then continues. Neither I nor our team feel it best serves the core message and goals we're seeking to accomplish, to be in a fight on an issue, not of our choosing. Thus, I respectfully withdraw my acceptance of the President's invitation. I will continue to pray regularly for the President and urge the nation to do so. I will most certainly pray for him on Inauguration Day. Mr. Giglio has been called out and attacked for teaching the truth about the sin of homosexuality as found in God's Word, yet... This is not a battle that he thinks is worthy to fight. Oh, what a travesty to think that there is a man posing as an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ who will not stand and defend his shepherd's word. Jude verse 3 says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Opposition will come both from both within and without. In neither instance is the Christian to retreat from the battle that rages against God's truth. Continuing Giglio's statement, he says, Our nation is deeply divided and hurting, and more than ever, we need God's grace and mercy in our time of need. Benziger then responds, More than ever, this country needs the truth. It does not need weak and wobbly Christians right doesn't need that now I'm not going to continue reading the rest of her piece but you can find this at do not be surprised com. do not be surprised the January 11th 2013 post entitled Louis Giglio living martyr no he's not he's not a living martyr unfortunately he's a coward rather than stand up for Christ He completely walked off the battlefield when the heat was on. We should not hold him up as a Christian martyr at all. We must call him what he is, a squishy, weak-kneed coward who left the battle when he was instructed in Scripture to stand firm. Plain and simple. And there's a lot more going on than just what Louis Giglio did. A lot more going on. It's a different day now in the United States of America. A different day altogether. And Albert Mueller and Russell Moore did a fine job of pointing that out. All right, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at what the Bible says regarding same-sex sins. Don't want to miss it. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you.
1: You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Kwon Do. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor. Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're gonna learn these things first off. In Rexquando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. Do you think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off. My students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church.
2: You can register now for the 10th annual Branson Worldview Weekend in beautiful Branson, Missouri, Friday night, April 26th, Saturday, April 27th, and Sunday morning, April 28th, 2013. Full details are at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. That's worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. Speakers this year will include Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. We'll also have speaking with us for the first time his son-in-law, Bodie Hodge, along with Pastor Jesse Johnson, a regular guest here on Worldview Weekend We'll also be joined by Chris Pinto with a brand new presentation. Mike Gendron will also bring a new presentation, as will Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. We'll also be joined this year for the first time at a Branson Worldview Weekend by Jason Carlson and Jared Carlson. We'll also be joined for the first time in a conference setting by Carl Tykrib. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. We have a family rate and group rate. You can go ahead and purchase your tickets now and receive priority upfront seating when you purchase your tickets now at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. And join us April 26, 27, and 28 in Branson,
0: Missouri. (laughs) Missouri the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner and the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare hotel and rental car than you need to That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap... That web address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash chief. Thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith can get you in a lot of trouble. What I'm about to teach you is banned information from the new Church of the United States. So you can't even hear this in 50 of the states in the United States. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. Are you a member of our crew yet? Well, if not, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and join our crew. It's only $6.95 every month. That's it. But it's a great way to support us. It's a great way to help us be able to budget what we're going to uh, have financially every month so we can properly do what we do. Plus, it takes the peaks and valleys out of the giving so that it makes it so that, well, it... Makes things run a lot smoother financially around here. So the way you do that, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, click on the join our crew button. It's only six dollars and ninety-five cents every month. It automatically comes out of your account. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay. We're not doing a sermon review today. We are doing biblical teaching. And what I'm about to teach you could get you disinvited from just about any possible thing that you can imagine, <laughs> including from uh, well, from uh, being invited to pray the benediction at the presidential inaugural. Or what do, what doesn't matter? The uh, the new state church of the United States of America uh, has set up a new kind of McCarthyism, and if you believe any of this that I'm going to teach you. You could be in deep kimchi, that's all I'm saying. So, I'm going to teach it to you anyway, because my allegiance is to Jesus Christ. As far as I'm concerned, the state church of the United States of America, I don't recognize that church as a church, nor do I recognize Barack Obama or any political leader as having authority in the kingdom of God. So my allegiance is to Jesus Christ and what his word says. And if you don't like it or agree with it, tough. You're wrong. God's word is true. Men are liars. All right. So open up your Bible okay? to properly understand this topic. We begin at the beginning. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Now here's the fundamental problem. I mentioned this at the beginning of the program and that is that the basic argument in America being used by people who are pro-homosexual is that homosexuality is a state of being in the same sense that somebody is born black or white or human or whatever. So punishing or saying that somebody is a sinner because they are engaging in homosexual sin or attracted, having passion for somebody of the same sex, well, that's like punishing a carnation and saying a carnation is sinful for being a carnation. But that is not what is true at all. In fact, we all know this isn't true at all, and that goes back to creation itself. Genesis chapter 1, I'll start at verse 26. We'll read a little bit from Genesis. Here's what it says. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Okay. Here's the idea. What you are sexually is not subjective. You were created either male or female. What you are, down to your being, is what you are, either male or female. Plain and simple. Okay. If you just... If you're confused about this, look down, okay? Have one of those private moments and determine, based upon the plumbing down there, if you are a male or a female. It's just that simple. If you have the plumbing of a male, you're a dude. You're a male. If you have the plumbing of a female, you are a female, okay? Plain simple God created man male and female it's just that simple that's what you are we know this okay we know this in our society when you go to the restaurant and you need to use the restroom they have two doors one for males the other for females it's that simple It really, truly is that simple. What you are sexually is objective, it's tangible, it's in your very flesh. Sexual sin begins by saying, What I am physically is not what I am sexually. That is the, and what's it based upon? Subjectivity. Experience or feelings, right? So, the way the argument runs is that if your young son is starting to have amorous thoughts towards guys, towards guys, you know, people of the same sex, well, that means your son is a homosexual. No, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is that your son, who is a male, is being tempted by his own sinful flesh, the devil, whatever, to run contrary to what God has made him. You do not set up his experiences as the arbiter of decider of truth as to what he is. What he is was determined long ago when he was born. It's on his birth certificate. He's either male They're either male or female, but if he's a he, he's a he. It's real simple. This is what God made them. Okay, let's go back again to Genesis. Flip forward to Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name." He shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay? Suitable helper for man. It's woman, plain and simple. Man and woman come together. And become one flesh. That's why this union produces other human beings. This is the way God created. We talk about it being nature. This is the nature that God put in us. To act contrary to this. Is to go against the very nature of who you are. And what God has made you. It is the ultimate rebellion against God. That's why When we get to the book of Leviticus later, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 says, And you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13 says, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. In ancient Israel, not only was it declared in the, according to the civil law of the of ancient Israel that homosexual actual physical deeds, the deed itself was against the law. God declared it to be an abomination. Okay? And an abomination that according to the civil law of ancient Israel required the death penalty. This was a crime that the solution, according to God's justice, was the death penalty. This is absolutely indisputable. The person who claims that what's being outlawed here is, you know, having sex with a slave or prostitution or whatever, uh, you know, temple prostitution. The, the thing about the, the the Hebrew language is it's very descriptive. Okay, Greek is very analytical and somewhat... Philosophical in the way it does things; it, it deals with with ideas. Okay, it's very analytical in that sense. Uh, Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew mindset is not analytical like that. It's not abstract. Okay, and so it's real simple. Okay, listen carefully to the language; it's describing the act, not the mindset behind it, or the or the justification for it, or what you were thinking, or what you were feeling, or some abstract concept or subjective thing. Leviticus eighteen twenty two: You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20.13 If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. No, there's no, there's n- nothing talking about motive. Nothing whatsoever talking about motive or the context in which this is happening. The sheer act itself... God declares an abomination, and in the nation of ancient Israel, the theocracy of Israel, this was a crime punishable by death, absolutely undeniable. Anybody who says something to the contrary is not telling you the truth. okay now, by the way, one of the pet liberal arguments is that in 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, where we you know we translate regarding homosexuality. Okay, that the Greek term is arsenokoites, and they're not sure what that means. Okay, that's ridiculous. Okay, because when you read Leviticus chapter 18, verse 20, from the Greek translation of the ancient world called the Septuagint. Okay, when you read it from the Septuagint, it's very clear, and you see where um, this, uh, this word arsenokoites comes from okay and it's real simple it's kai meta arsenas u koi these koi tain okay arsenas koi tain literally means man better somebody who lies with or beds a man and basically when the apostle paul writing under the inspiration of the holy spirit in first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 Uses the word koites. It's basically the Holy Spirit taking two words from Leviticus chapter 18, arsenos and koite, and putting them together into one word. The Greek language works that way. So keep that in mind. But that's not the next passage we're going to go to. The next passage we're going to take a look at is Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We'll start at verse 18. Here's what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Do you feel like any of that's going on right now? Men in unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's what's going on with this new state church. They're suppressing the truth of God's word regarding the sin of homosexuals, you know, behavior as well as lust. But we'll get into this. For what we can know about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen notice verse 24 says that god gave them up in the lusts of their heart where does lust of the heart start in your heart it's a subjective feeling that begins in there so because they refused to recognize god as god god gave them up to the lusts of their heart to their Subjective feelings, right? Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. To dishonorable passions. The Greek here for passions is the word pathos, okay? pathos yeah you've probably heard of you know something something similar to this well according to bdag the premier greek lexicon for new testament greek pathos means to ex- an experience of strong desire or passion okay so listen again to the passage for this reason god gave them up to dishonorable passions lusts okay That's the subjective feeling. For their women exchanged natural relations. What would be the natural relation for a woman? Well, the natural relation for a woman would be for her to be married to a man and have sexual relations with her husband, who is a male. That would be the natural. But the scripture says, that God gave them up to dishonorable passions. It begins as a subjective lust in your heart. And it doesn't say in scripture here that this is what you are. It says that God has turned you over to it for you to exchange what is natural for that which is contrary to nature. That's what it says. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, and were consumed with passion for one another. Now, come back to point out the subjective here. the uh, The Greek word, orexis, literally means a condition of strong desire or longing, or longing and strong desire. So, here's what the text is saying. Okay. Men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with strong lust, passion, and desire for one another, for other men. Men con- committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, this is important and it's key. Okay? Okay? The reason why it's important and it's key is because the, major, the culture out there wants to argue that somebody is born and that their nature, sexually, is defined by their feelings. And yet, Romans makes it clear that these dishonorable passions, these feelings, these lusts, that they're a punishment of God. God turning people over to them because they refuse to honor him as God, right? So these feelings are what are, that cause somebody to do something that's contrary to their nature. The scripture makes it clear that you are not born homosexual. You are born male or female. That's the natural order that God has set up. And when you when you are being evil, God turns you over to your feelings so that your feelings cause you to do things that are contrary to the very nature of who you are. In other words, there is only male and female. There is no homosexual, and and really, there's no heterosexual as as, as a state of being. I am not, you've got to be careful how you quote me here, but i am not by as a being by definition defined as a heterosexual okay i am a man i am a male okay my desire for my wife is truly natural in an order of the way that god created it okay that's the idea and by the way other aspect of it is that within scripture just having a desire for someone of the opposite sex is not is not a positive thing and what i mean by that is this okay we are to be attracted to and only exercise our sexual prowess if you would you know our sexual you know functions within the context of a marriage a monogamous marriage. So heterosexual relationships outside of marriage are contrary to Scripture and our sins. They're forbidden by God. So the idea here is, is that, oh, and just because your desire is for somebody of the opposite sex doesn't mean that that's somehow necessarily a good thing. You know, if that were the case, then pornography wouldn't be a problem, now would it? but it is, okay? Next passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Listen again. Do not be deceived. This is what the Holy Spirit wrote for us. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral... That would be adulterers, okay? Heterosexual forbidden relationships. That would be, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Now, a little quick note here on the Greek here, okay? What's coming across in the English, it's it's a phrase that's a little bit, Tricky to translate, okay? Okay, let me read it again in the ESV. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men men who practice homosexuality, okay? The phrase in question we want to look at is, hute malakoi, hute arsenikoitai, okay? And literally what this is saying, okay, a, a malakoi, the malakoi, by the way, according to BDAG, again, the premier New Testament Greek lexicon, uh, uh, the uh, malakoi are those who are passive in a same-sex rela- relationship. They are the effeminate receivers. Okay, whereas the arsanakoi that would be the male betters—they um, are—they are the ones. Well, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, they're the the dominant in that particular relationship. So the scripture here is saying that neither the malakoi the effeminate receivers, and the arsenokoitai, the guys who are on top, if you would, neither of them. Homosexual offenders, period. Okay? Men who practice homosexuality, that's the phrase that comes across, but it includes both ends of that. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And if you don't like that, your argument is with God. It's His kingdom. He decides who inherits, who is the one who gets to inherit it. You don't like it? I'm sorry. I've got nothing to offer you. But for those who will listen, who will not harden their hearts against what God is saying here, Paul has a little bit more to say. And he says to the, those in Corinth, And such were some of you. Were. You were. Okay? In other words, um, and the nice thing is is the imperfect here, it's a past tense. Some were some of you, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified or declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You'll notice in that list there that's given Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, There's few people that can say that um, they don't show up on this list. Few people who can say that they don't show up on this list. But the good news is not that you didn't commit the sin. The good news is that the sin was atoned for by the shed blood of Christ. Okay. That's the idea. Next passage, 1 Timothy 1, verse 9. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but the law is laid down for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, and those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, those men who practice homosexuality. There's a, the phrase again, arsenicoitis. Okay, the man betters, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Christian message is clear. It's not ambiguous, it's right on and to the point. This is a sin. Same sex passion lust and the deed itself all are a sin contrary to nature contrary to who you are and sins for which christ has died for just like christ has died for all of the sins that i've committed in fact i'm not sitting here as a sinless person pointing my finger at you and saying ah, you're a sinner and i'm not No, Paul goes on to say in that same chapter of 1 Timothy, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let me pause there for a second. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a great little encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees. Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh, has come to earth He's just called Matthew, uh, Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, to be one of his disciples and ends up having dinner at his house. And, well, all the town sinners showed up for the party. Yep, that's right. There was a whole bunch of other sinners and tax collectors all there at Matthew's house, and Jesus was there dining with them. And the Pharisees were absolutely torqued. And they come to Jesus and, and... They're just, look, you're eating eating with sinners. And Jesus' response to them is instructive. Jesus says, it is not those who are healthy and well need a physician, but is the sick. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. That's who Jesus came for. If you are not a sinner, then Jesus has absolutely nothing to offer you. Because Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And you and I are all sinners. Let me say it again. Verse 15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here's the Apostle Paul writing, Of whom I am the foremost, or the chief. The Apostle Paul never claimed to be a righteous dude after coming to Christianity. No. He claimed to be the chief of sinners. I think all of us should have this attitude. But here's what he says. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Jesus came to save sinners. And see, here's the deal. We are not loving our neighbors and friends and family who are enslaved to same-sex Passions and same-sex behavior if we do not confront them with their sin and call them to repentance and tell them of their crucified and risen Savior who came to save sinners. Because unrepentant sinners, unrepentant adulterers, swindlers, greedy, and homosexuals, God has said will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of heaven will be absolutely packed full with forgiven sinners who've been brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you've been paying attention to the passages that I've been bringing up, you'll notice that I left a particular story out, and that's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, a much-disputed text. Rather than enter the fray regarding the dispute by just reading the text itself, I'm going to employ a hermeneutical technique known as Scripture interprets Scripture. There's a whole bunch of people out there who say, oh yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah, that's all about inhospitality. You know, people who weren't being hospitable and treating strangers badly. I would agree. Homosexual rape is a bad way to treat a stranger. But the scripture tells us that it's a lot more than that, and it does so, in, of all places, the epistle of Jude. So if you have your Bible, flip over to Jude. I'll start at verse 1 so we get the context. This is a short little letter worth passing along. Jude, verse 1. Here we go. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Jude, by the way, is a half-brother of Jesus, but he can't bring himself to say that. It's interesting, right? To those who are called Beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Jude, verse 7, makes it clear the men of Sodom were not only sexually immoral, but it defines and describes their immorality as that of pursuing unnatural desire. There it is. Again, unnatural desire. Okay? Let me read a little bit more. Yet, in like manner, these people, these false teachers who've crept in, relying on their dreams, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. for they walk in the way of Cain and have abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. Notice it says here these people are like unreasoning animals following things that they understand instinctively their feelings, right? These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear shepherds who feed only themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. They are wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers. They're malcontents. They're following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain an advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last times, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these, these are the ones who cause divisions. They are worldly people. They are devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved... Building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you as blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is what God's word says. There are false teachers among us. And as Jude points out, the apostles themselves prophesied, and he reiterates their prophecies, that in the last time, there will be scoffers. Scoffers. These are people who mock God's word, reject the authority of Scripture, reject what Christ has said, reject what the Holy Spirit has revealed. They are scoffers who follow their own ungodly passions and that they, they are the ones who cause divisions and that they are worldly people devoid, completely devoid of the spirit of the holy and true God. Who is it the ones who are causing divisions in the body of Christ? Those who are following their own worldly passions and are bringing the sin of Sodom into Christianity, claiming that God celebrates and embraces and is completely happy with those who commit these sins. And now we live in a time, and now the day has come, it is a new season, it is a new day, where You say this publicly, you will be marked. You will be shunned. You will be rejected. You will suffer just as your Savior has suffered. So here's the question I have for you. Will you preach the truth? Will you love your neighbor enough to risk jail? To risk Losing your job? To risk being disinvited? To risk whatever the cost is? Are you ready to risk everything that you have on this earth, including your own life, for the sake of your Lord and Savior? Because... I'm going to ask you this straight up, or at least say it straight up. Because if you're not willing to stand for the truth, then what do you believe? We've come to the time now where those who have been remaining silent are celebrity pastors and teachers who you can't figure out exactly what they believe by what they say. We must come to the conclusion that by remaining silent, their silence speaks not in favor of what scripture says, but proves that they do not believe what scripture says. That's how we must interpret the silence. So the bugle is blowing. reveille's is being called. You're called to muster. Will you stand with Christ and his saints even to the point of death? Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, let me read that again. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. But as for the cowardly, The faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers and the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Are you a Christian? Have you been brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? If that is true of you, this is not a day for you to be cowardly. This is not a day for you to side with those who are embracing and teaching rebellion in the body of Christ. Those who are sexually immoral, murderers and sorcerers and idolaters and all the like, as the Apostle Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 6, They shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but Jesus in Revelation 21 verse 8 makes it clear that not only will they not inherit the kingdom of God, their portion is going to be in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. This is the second death. Hell awaits them, not just the sexually immoral, the cowards. That's what it says. So will you capitulate? Will you put your head down? Not make eye contact? R- look away silently while your Christian brothers and sisters are being persecuted? Or you, will you be numbered with them? That's the question. Will you be numbered with them? For heaven and earth are passing away. You're not even going to be here in a hundred years if the Lord tarries. What will you be holding on the last day? Christ and his word? Or a world that is soon to be destroyed and is going to pass away? Oh, I know it doesn't really sound like that, that easy of a decision but that's what it's come down to. These days are now perilous days for Christians in the United States. And the question is, who is your allegiance to? Jesus Christ and what he's revealed in his word for you to stand on, proclaim and defend or capitulate and continue to give the world what they want to hear which is in effect not loving them, is in reality, is cowardly, and sending them, and maybe you, to hell. Repent. Be forgiven. The good news is that Christ came to save sinners. We have nothing to offer people who are not sinners. For a Scripture says, if you say you have no sin... You deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Which will it be? The time has come to pick sides. We're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pirate Christian. Till next week. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.